Take your Bible, turn to the book of Esther. Before we move to chapter 5, I want us to look back for a week at the verse that we started with uh, when we began our series through Esther. The two verses, Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And I want us to concentrate again on those two verses this morning. Good to have uh, the choir back in in service this morning, and good to hear uh, from them. And I like getting back to normal. I don't care anything about this new normal stuff they talk about, and I don't like it. I'm Baptist through and through. I don't want anything changing ever. I'm getting back <laughs> to normal. <laughs> of course, you know I'm employing the use of hyperbole there, and I exaggerated a little bit too. <laughs> Esther 4, verses 13 and 14, familiar verses to us now. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Thank you for reading with me. May God add his blessings to the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his word, and I want to preach to you this morning on the simple thought of moments. Moments. From the very beginning, life has been measured in years. Even in those earliest genealogies that we find in the scripture, it's important for Moses to record for us the number of years that certain people lived. You read it uh, in those genealogies, which by the way, I would add this, don't just gloss over those genealogies. There is gold in those genealogies. I would encourage you to dig through them and dig deep in them and you'll find some blessings. But anyway, back to the main point, you find that he'll mention that someone lived, <coughs> excuse me, a certain number of years and that they died. We measure from the beginning, we've measured life in years. If you walk through a cemetery today and you look at headstones, you'll see the name of the person that is laying there, and then you'll find two dates, what I'll call the manufactured date on the left and the expiration date on the right. And in between the manufactured date and the expiration date, there is a dash. Life is measured in years, but while it is measured in years, it is made in moments. The dash, the hyphen between the two dates on a headstone represent a lot of moments that define the person and how we remember them. When our final moment comes, 
The dash on our headstone will represent a collection of moments that those who know us will remember when they just see the dash between those two dates. Some of the moments that our lives are made up by, they are great, joyful, triumphant, successful moments. Others are dark, low, depressing moments. Some moments come with unexpected blessing. Others come with unexpected disappointment, heartache, and grief. Some moments are filled with fear and anxiety. Others with courage and anticipation. The moments that make up our lives as individuals are unique to each and every one. Yet what we have in common is that we all have our moments, do we not? Whether they be great triumphant moments or whether they be dark moments of defeat. And sometimes we get to have a moment that makes a lot of our other moments not understandable completely, but maybe some moments we have in our lives shed some light and give some understanding to other moments that we have had. And I think that's what we find happening. I don't think. I see that that is what we find happening. I could say I don't think just as a general statement, and you wouldn't have had any problem with that at all. I see you. See you. Esther 4, verses 13 and 14. It's a record of that moment that Esther had that shed light on the moments that she had experienced prior to this. In our last message here two weeks ago, I mentioned something about giving all of the what's and all of the why's in your life to Jesus. You remember when she heard that Mordecai was going through the streets crying, wailing, mourning, and then he stood at the king's gate because he couldn't come into the king's presence in that condition. She found out he was just standing outside there. She wanted to know what and why. And I reminded you how our lives are filled with what's and why's and how we can bring those to Jesus. And I encouraged you two weeks to go two weeks ago to bring the what's and the why's in your life to Jesus and let him do with them what only he can do with them. Well, I want to expand on that a little bit here before we move forward. And I want you to understand that bringing the what's and the why's in your life to Jesus, it might not look like a joyful, miraculous answer to prayer. It might not look like your wayward children returning. It might not look like your family being put back together. It might not be that the doctor comes to you with news that he can't explain it, but what they had been treating you for is suddenly gone. It may not be that kind of news. Certainly the Lord is able, is He not, 
to do the miraculous and give us the desires of our hearts. But there are times in which, as we see in Esther's life and as we experience in ours, that the exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think that the Lord does for us comes not in the absence of trouble or the miraculous ending of trouble, but in trouble and through trouble. Sometimes it is that the best work that God does in our lives happens in and through moments that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. Moments that are chosen for us that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. However, through all of those moments that we don't understand, God in His goodness and God in His providence will sometimes give us a moment that sheds light on dark moments and that makes sense out of seemingly senseless moments. And again, that's what we find happening in Esther 4, verses 13 and 14. From Esther's moment, we'll learn three things about that moment in our lives that sheds light on other moments in our lives. When God allows us to have moments that sheds light on other moments, they begin as what I'm calling moments of reality. Moments of reality. There's a specific type of reality that I am referring to here. In verse 13, Mordecai hits Esther with a heaping portion of cold, hard reality. Listen again to what he says in verse 13. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Mordecai points out the reality of the seriousness, the gravity of Esther's situation, the seriousness and the gravity of this moment. And this moment of reality has a couple of elements, uh, a couple of things associated with it that we find in our own moments in which we are faced with this reality. For both Esther and Mordecai, this was, and often in our lives, there, this was a moment of fear. Moments of reality, of hard reality. They are moments of fear. I want you to understand that when Mordecai says to Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. What he is saying is, you are in as much danger as everyone else. The palace walls will provide you no sanctuary. For the day of your death is already set. The reality of her situation was that it was bad, and she was in it, whether she liked it or not. And again, we find Esther 
in a moment in her life that she would not have chosen for herself. And Mordecai says to her, on top of the fact that, hey, you're not safe from what is about to happen. On top of that, he says, if you don't do anything, not only you, but your father's house also will be destroyed. And it's funny to me that Mordecai mentions Esther's father's house. When we're introduced to Mordecai in chapter 2 and beginning in verse 5, we are told that he was raising Esther as his daughter because she had no father and mother. At some point, they had both passed away. When Mordecai tells her that if she plays it safe and doesn't do anything, not only will she die, but her father's house as well, He's talking about himself. <laughs> He's as concerned with his own safety as he is hers and everybody else's. We hold that reality up to the light of what Esther says back in verse 11, that if she goes to the king without being summoned, she could be killed. Then we, we're hit with the reality of this moment that for Esther, there were no good options. But something had to be done. Either way, she faced death. Cold as hard as reality that we face, at least in my estimation, is when we realize that things can go really bad regardless of what you do. But you have to do something. Because sometimes non-action is a non-option. Sometimes our only options are bad options. We can't hide. We can't evade. We can't escape. We have to do something. I can't tell if it's what some people refer to as growing up or if it's my natural tendency to be negative. But either way, the older I get, the more I realize that there is a lot of life that is just like that. There's a possibility of things going wrong, horribly wrong, regardless of what you do. We can invest our times, our lives, our resources, our hearts in a marriage, in a ministry, in our families, in a career, in a church, only to have the worst happen. There are a lot of areas of life that we just don't have control over. Moments of reality that are moments of fear teach us that there's a real possibility of things going bad and it's a reality we cannot escape however in those moments in those moments of fear when we realize we only have bad options 
in those moments that we realize regardless of what we do, things could go terribly wrong, we also find in those same moments that they are a moment of faithfulness. Moments of faithfulness. Mordecai is very matter-of-fact. He is very blunt. He is, as they say, keeping it real in his response to Esther here in verses 13 and 14. He understands the situation very well and that there aren't really any good options and that things can go really bad for Esther one, either way she turns. But in the middle of all of that, he still is leaning on the faithfulness of God. And he has not counted God out. We established in our first sermon, the overview to the book of Esther, that nowhere in this book is God's name mentioned. But I believe that what Mordecai says in verse 14 is the closest reference we have. Even the closest thing we have, closest we get to an acknowledgement of God in this entire book. Verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. I believe that Mordecai is believing that the God of Israel had not gone on vacation and he hadn't forgotten the covenant that he had made with Abraham and his seed. He had not forgotten that he had promised a, a land. He hadn't forgotten that he had promised a people. He hadn't forgotten what he had said. And while they were not back in Jerusalem, while they are still exiles, some of them, while they are still non-returnees, even though they're not in the place that they connected with being in God's blessings, back in the homeland, God was still with them wherever they were, and he hadn't abandoned them. He said that their blessing, their enlargement, and their salvation, their rescue would come from another place. I want you to remember that this is a world empire that's happening. You, you've got a monarch sitting on the throne. There wasn't any other place on earth from which help could come. I believe Mordecai is pointing towards heaven and saying that if you don't do anything, Esther, even if you fail to go to the king, even if you go to the king and you lose your life, there is a God. There is one who has not forgotten his people and he is going to be faithful regardless of what is happening. He believed that God was still faithful. When we find ourselves in moments in which we're faced with the cold, hard reality that we don't have any good options and that there is a real danger of things going really bad, we can trust God anyway. When all of our options are bad, we must stand firmly on the Word and the faithful character of God. And no matter how bad something looks, like Mordecai, we should never count God 
out because he's Lord over bad options. He's Lord over no-win situations. He is the God who is ever-present and always working, even in that narrow stricture between the proverbial rock and the hard place. He is the God who parted the waters for Israel when they had a sea in front of them and the Egyptian army closing in behind them. He is the God, after all, who got in the fire with the three Hebrew boys and shielded them from the flames. He is the God, after all, who gave the lion's lockjaw when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. I'll never forget what one of the deacons at my former church said when we talked about Daniel in the lion's den one time. He said, boy, Daniel had a real predicament. He said he was thrown in a den with meat eaters and he was made out of meat. (laughs) God gave those lines lockjaw. Listen, he is the God who is there. When you reach that moment of reality that you don't have any good options, he is there and he is faithful. And He can bring good. Not only can He bring good out of bad situations, but as I read Romans 8, I find out that He lets bad situations happen for our good. Moments of reality. We also have moments of remembrance. When we read verse 14, we just read the words. Thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this. For us, they're just words on paper. Black ink on a white page. A ancient, distant, historical narrative. But for Esther, the words, Thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this, brought back a flood of memories. Let's walk down memory lane with Esther and remember the hardships. How Esther came into the kingdom how she got into the palace was not a pleasant story. You remember the beginning of the story. The decree went out because Queen Vashti had been banished from the king's presence. And the king's advisors had told him that he needed to gather up all of the good-looking young girls in the empire, bring them into his harem, have auditions to be the next queen of Persia. And just because she fit a description, Esther was taken from her family home 
brought into the king's harem for a year until it was her turn. She had no choice in the matter. She had no say. Innocence lost to someone she had never previously met and for all she knew at the moment might never see again. Remember those ones that weren't chosen. They didn't get to go back home. And they didn't get to stay in the palace. They were just put off somewhere in another harem. And unless the king happened to want to see them again, that's where they stayed for the rest of their lives. For all she knew, she would never see this person again. What might have just been word what might have just been words to Mordecai. And what might just be words to us as we read it for Esther were very difficult memories. Not only was they, were they memories of heartache, but they were, as we walk down memory lane with Esther, we'll remember the hardships. Excuse me, hardships should be first. <laughs> we'll remember the heartaches. Difficult memories for her. And when Mordecai sent word with the words, and who knows but that thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this, knowing what we know, it wasn't just memories in her head, but it was pain in her heart. Maybe her self-preservation instincts had wiped some of the details from her memory. Maybe with the passage of time, some of the specifics of her plight disappeared from her memory. But I can't help but believe that there was something that remained, and that was the pain of her experiences. When Mordecai reminded Esther of how she came into the kingdom, I can't help but think maybe she felt that confusion, that hopelessness, that heartache all over again. We've all been through some stuff, haven't we? We all have painful memories. We all have moments even now, that seem to bring back all, to bring all of those memories just flooding back, don't we? And we find ourselves asking, why did it have to happen that way? Why did it have to happen at all? Is there anything good that can come from whatever that painful memory is. As I said earlier, when you have your moments that make other moments make sense, might not be a joyful, miraculous answer to prayer. might not look like victory. It might not be exactly what you asked for. As, with the case, as was the case with Esther. The moment that you have that's 
that shed some light on some of the other moments in your life, it might just look like another bad situation in which there are only bad options. It might be a flood of bad memories. However, in that moment that sheds light on other moments, the silver lining in that dark cloud of reality emerges. With that, we'll look, we'll move from our moments of reality and remembrance to moments of realization. Moments of realization. Can I use my imagination for just a little bit? Thank you. Remember that Esther and Mordecai aren't communicating face to face. They're using a messenger by the name of, if I'm pronouncing it right, Haytak. Now imagine that when Haytak relayed the last phrase of Mordecai's message to Esther, can't help but think that while it, I'm sure it brought up all of the bad memories, at the same time, a light comes on. The threadbare memories of how she wound up in the palace came together in a marvelous tapestry with the words, for such a time as this. Y'all know that, our, that most of the reading I do in preparation for sermons are dead guys. There's a dead guy from the 1600s, 17th century Puritan, and a lot of them aren't Baptists either. He was a Puritan. He was a Presbyterian minister. His name was John Flavel. Flavel had a unique perspective on God's providence and how God works. You know, when you read Hebrew... You don't read it left to right like we read English. You read it right to left. We would say that that is backwards. Listen to what John Flavel had to say. Divine providence, like Hebrew words, must be read backwards with the words for such a time as this. Esther had a moment of realization from which she could stand right there in the middle of the bad options. She could stand right there in the middle of the no-win situation and from that vantage point look back over her life and see God's providence at work. Even in those moments, she wouldn't have chosen for herself. And I want us to, before we go, look back at and with Esther and realize the providence of God in two facts of the other moments of her life and our lives as well. And we can see that our moments 
of harsh reality and remembrance, they serve as preparation. They serve as preparation. All of the things that Esther endured in chapters 2 and 3 prepared her for and put her in this moment in chapter 4 and even on into chapter 5. I don't know why it has to be this way, but God prepares His people for their greatest service to Him and His kingdom through difficulty. It was in the fight with the lion and the bear that David was prepared for a fight with a giant. It was through running from a jealous, wicked king that David learned how to be a good king and a merciful king. I don't know why it is that way, but it does seem to be God's way to prepare us for greater moments of service through previous moments of difficulty. At this moment in her life, with the words at, for such a time as this, Esther realized that all of the things that she had endured were preparation for this moment in her life. I don't know what all heartache and trouble and grief or injustice you might have suffered or might even presently be dealing with. But here's what I do know, is that God uses the trouble of one moment of tribulation to prepare us for another moment of tribulation and to prepare us for moments of triumph. And He prepares us for those moments in which we may well understand that we've been prepared for those moments. Our moments of reality and remembrance, they serve as preparation, they serve a purpose. What we learn from these two verses and following in the narrative is that there is no hardship or heartache that comes to us that is without purpose. I've heard people who are a lot smarter than I am talk about gratuitous evil. Are you familiar with that term? Things that happen, things that happen to us that are seemingly random and serve no purpose. I just have trouble believing that. My understanding of the Scripture, especially when we read stories like this, is that there is no hardship. There is no heartache that comes into the life of a believer that is without purpose. James tells us that the trial of our faith works patience in us and that we should let patience have her perfect work that we may be complete and entire, lacking nothing in our spiritual lives. Hardship and heartache 
are the instruments through which God smooths off our rough edges and sculpts us into the image of His Son, Jesus. Simon Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. And then he says later on in 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, who has called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. <laughs> there is no random or gratuitous evil that befalls the child of God. No, there is purpose in every problem that God allows to come into your life. As with our preparation through tribulation, one main promise for purpose, excuse me, for the moments of reality and remembrance is that God uses them not only for His glory, and our own good, but for the good in the lives of others as we minister to them. You see, these things didn't that happened to Esther, they didn't just happen to Esther, they happened for Esther, for Mordecai, and for every Jew scattered throughout the Persian Empire. Likewise, the things that happen to you don't just happen to you, but for you and for the good of others around you. And either in this life or in the next, you will have a moment that makes sense of some of the other moments in your life. Either in this life or the next, God lets us see what He can do with those moments that we can't do anything about. Either in this life or the next, you will be able to see where all the other moments of your life have brought you from and what they are bringing you to. Either in this life or the next, you'll see the other side of the needlework. My grandmother used to do those things. I don't even remember what you call it. Where you ladies take some kind of weird looking needle and you make something. You <laughs> thought it was specific enough. <laughs> I'm not a details guy. You know, sometimes a picture, sometimes a Bible verse. Oh, a lady at my first church I pastored, she 
what do they call those things? It, it, it's beautiful. It's got a picture of a her of, of a church, not a hearse. <laughs> of a church. And it's got the words to the hymn, Abide with me on it. I've got it framed. It is absolutely beautiful on that side. Needlepoint. That's what I said. Y'all just didn't hear it. Sounded like something else to you. On the side where the glass of the frame is, the side that you look through <laughs> and that you look at, man, it looks beautiful. If I were to turn that around, you're going to see loose ends. Probably not going to be able to read words or make out pictures. It just don't look good on that side. And on this side of Romans 8.28, it's like the backside of the needlework. But even in this life, sometimes God turns the thing around for us. And even if not in this life, in the next life, we'll see the whole front of the picture. And we'll see the finished product. And we'll be able to say in that moment that all things do indeed Work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. It was in a different way than what we experience it. But even the Lord Jesus, in His incarnation, had this moment. Like I say, it's different for Him. Because we know He was both God and man. I've been reading the Westminster Confession. And I just got finished with that section on the nature of Christ, His divine and His human natures. And even the best minds can't put all of that together. I know that Jesus knew why He came. We, we even hear it. I know that He knew all things in His divine nature, in His human nature. He, he had this moment where we can see and that He understood even from the beginning what His life was all about. John twelve seven. Jesus is standing in the shadow of the cross and He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. Remember, he's about to go to the cross. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this cause came I unto this hour. 
this moment. Father, glorify thy name in his humanity. Jesus looked back and he understood that everything else led up to this moment. He understood his purpose that he had came for this hour. Knowing the agony of the cross that he must endure and by which he must die, he said, for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. He understood that his life was about one hour, one moment, in which through his suffering, God would be glorified and we would be saved. For all you know, your past moments of suffering might be preparation for this present moment's suffering. And who knows whether you are where you are and enduring what you're enduring, suffering what you are suffering for such a time as this to glorify God and to minister to His people. I pray that if you haven't had it yet, you have the moment that makes a lot of other moments make sense. If you haven't had it yet, I pray that you have a moment that sheds light on some of the dark moments in your life. I pray that God lets you see His purposes being worked out in your life even through those moments that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. I've had a few of those moments. I've had not many, but there have been times, there have been moments when I got to look back on a dark moment and maybe even standing in the shadow of another one, be able to say, I've been here before. And through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And His grace has brought me safe thus far. And His grace will lead me on home. I've had a moment or two where I could look back at a moment of hurt and a moment of heartache and maybe even a moment of failure and say, God has brought me through that moment to this moment for that moment so that He could get the glory. Oh, if you haven't had it, I pray that God gives you that moment. But regardless of what moment you're in right now, whether you're in that moment of reality where Esther stood, where there was no good option, I want you to know that God's there in that moment of reality. And in that moment of fear, you will find Him faithful. And He's there in that moment of remembrance. You may be standing right now in a place that brings back a flood of past hurts and heartaches and they have suffered, they have surfaced again. 
I want you to know that God's already brought you to where you are. And He's there with you now and He's going to bring you on through to glorify Him. If you hadn't had that moment, I pray that you have that moment. Will you stand with me?